0: have scattered to the far corners of the earth, and so kind of hard to keep them all around here. Okay. It's good to see everybody here this morning. It's good to see Ben and Autumn from China. Glad you guys could make a visit to us. We miss you guys. And Cameron, it's good to see you. Haven't seen you in a while. Hope things are going well with you. Glad to have you with us this morning. Let me ask you this. How can you tell when it's going to be a rotten day? Well, here's a few leading Rotten Day indicators. You wake up face down on the pavement. Probably, huh? That's a Rotten Day indicator. How about this? You see a 60 Minutes news team waiting in your office. That could be a Rotten Day indicator. How about this one? Your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. Or you turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. Could be a Rotten Day. How about this one? You're Your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels on the freeway. I don't think they appreciate that too very much. And then how about this one? The bird singing outside your window is a buzzard. (laughs) Could be a rotten day, huh? All signs it will probably be a lousy day. All indicators that maybe it's time to worry about your life or at least that particular day. Of course, we don't need these kinds of things to happen for us to worry, do we? We manage to find plenty of other things to worry about. Sometimes they're legitimate concerns and some are more realistically not really that big of a deal. But we worry, don't we? It's part and parcel of our human existence. Show me the person who says he never worries and I'll show you someone who's a liar or somebody who's at least self-deceived. Yet the scripture tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there because we're going to be returning to this uh, passage throughout most of the message this morning. It reads, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The reality is that worry has no legitimate place in the lives of, of the children of God, that doesn't mean it doesn't have a place. As we noted, it has a place in all of our lives, but it has no legitimate place. This is a consistent theme in many passages of Scripture. In Philippians four six, don't be anxious about anything. John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus' own words: Do not let your heart be troubled, and do not be afraid. Uh, Psalm thirty seven eight says, Do not fret. Psalm six twenty five says, Do not worry. Psalm fifty five. Uh, Verse 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. This is a theme that we see again and again in God's word. The Lord says to us, trust in me, not in your ability to handle things. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. I find myself asking this question when I read this scripture. Are we as vigilant about not worrying as we are about other things that he commands us not to do? We tend to justify worry, to somehow try to make it a little bit more noble. That's what God has over the years repeatedly convicted me of. I've had seasons of my life when worry has been really pretty far from me, when I've been able to trust fully in the Lord with all my heart. I've had seasons when that peace of God that passes all understanding has been very real to me, even in the midst of very challenging circumstances. But somehow, my trust leaks, and I take back the worries that I've already given to the Lord. Something will get me worrying, and it's, if, it's just as if I've everything that I've learned, all that I've grown in related to trusting God is just right out the window. I'm sure nobody here has ever experienced anything like that before. There have been sleepless nights, there have been days at a time of anxious thoughts, and honestly, a lot of what, if I was honest with myself, and I'm being honest with you this morning, I have to classify as worry. Now, because these sometimes weren't about me personally, that is, I wasn't worrying about things like money or a job or something like that, I tended to think that these worries of mine were somehow above these commands. I'd gain peace for a season, but then circumstances would worsen, and I'd begin to stew and fret and worry about these things once more. I've come to believe that there really is a difference between worry and concern. One preacher called this the difference between constructive concern, on the one hand, and deconstructive worry. There are things about which it is legitimate to express concern, but constructive concern leads us to deeper prayer and to fuller reliance on God. Deconstructive worry, on the other hand, just leads to deeper worry. Deconstructive worry, unlike constructive concern, it depletes our resources. It drains our energy. Deconstructive worry often includes a pretty circular reasoning process. Your worry takes you round and round on a downward spiral, doesn't it? Which always brings you back to the same point, the point you started worrying about to begin with. Here's an example. I have to pass my test tomorrow. That's where you start. If I don't pass my test tomorrow, I'll get put on academic probation. You begin to think like this. If I'm on academic probation, I could get thrown out of school. You see the downward spiral beginning, don't you? If I get thrown out of school, I'll never find a good job. If I don't find a good job, I'll never be able to buy a house. If I can't buy a house, how can I ever get married? The downward spiral, right? And then you come right back to it. I have to pass my test tomorrow. Think about it. After all our worry, we never come one inch closer to a solution, which could help us pass the test. Constructive concern seeks a solution. How about trying this? I have a test tomorrow. I better stay in and study, and I better pray and ask God for help. It moves you from a problem to a solution. There's also the reality that we all have in our lives when we grieve over certain circumstances, maybe of grieving over a loved one who's in sin or someone who's ill, whether it be uh, somebody who's in pain, emotional pain, physical pain, it can be any of these kind of things, or even experiencing that pain ourselves. This, too, can be different from deconstructive worry. However, having the kind of care or anxiety that's spoken of in this passage of Scripture is more than just a legitimate, constructive concern. And it's different from the kind of grieving we just referenced. It's being loaded down. It's being burdened with a load of worry. Picture yourself with a big, huge boulder on your shoulder, feeling the weight of it, carrying the weight of that boulder, literally keeping us from what God has for us to do. It keeps us pinned to the ground. It keeps us from moving forward constructively, and it hinders our relationship with him. The original language for uh, this passage from 1 Peter indicates the kind of anxiety that completely distracts you from your daily living. One Bible dictionary says this word means the kind of anxiety or care that brings disruption to the personality and the mind. The dictionary also notes that this word is probably connected with another Greek word, which means to draw in different directions, to distract. This kind of anxiety is mentioned in so many different verses of Scripture. The kind of care about things or anxiety is used in these verses. And this is just a small sampling. Matthew 13, 22 says, The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. And in Luke eight fourteen, we see the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. And Luke 21 34 says, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close in on you unexpectedly like a trap. So, what we see are the kinds of cares and worries or anxieties that can choke faith, that can make our lives unfruitful and can actually weigh our hearts down. We see in Proverbs 12, 25, that an anxious heart weighs a man down. And we know that, don't we? We know that because we've all experienced that in some way. In writing of this 1 Peter passage, Matthew Henry says that these kinds of cares can be personal cares, they can be family cares, they can be cares for the present, cares for the future, for yourself, for others, for the church. These are burdensome, and they are very often sinful when they arise from unbelief and distrust, when they torture and distract the mind and make us unfit for our duties and hinder our delight in the service of God. A man named Arthur Summers Roach said that anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. From the perspective of the enemy of our souls, on the other hand, worry actually has very many wonderful benefits as far as the devil's concerned. Such worry can paralyze Christians into ineffectiveness. These worries can distract us from our work. They can cause people to rely on themselves. That's right, because we tend to carry these worries on our own. Worry undermines trust in God. Now, before I go any further, let me offer a very quick qualification. There's a very real thing called anxiety disorder. That's the kind of anxiety that's produced when your brain chemistry is out of whack. Now, please, please, for those among us who are challenged by this, don't hear this morning's message as another reason for you to worry or to self-condemn. The admonition to trust the Lord remains for you, too. So I don't want to blunt the clear words of Scripture, which apply to all all of us. But please, please. Don't beat yourself up when your brain doesn't cooperate with you. And please don't quit taking your medications that help with this condition because the preacher said that casting our cares on him is a command, which is true. But remember that. Just a quick qualification. In reality, your medicine may be one of the tools that God uses to help you face worry and clear your head so you're better equipped to rely on him. But for all of us, worry can be sin. It can indicate a lack of trust in God. Another thing that I noticed in this passage is that Peter is really comparing, comparing worrying with pride. Think about this. Look at these verses again. If you still have your Bible out, read uh, from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Let me read them again. Humble yourselves, therefore, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now isn't it humbling to admit that we can't handle something? That's humbling. Why else would Paul or Peter, excuse me, right here, humble yourselves? Sometimes when we think we're strong enough to handle a circumstance, when we think we're strong enough to handle a trial or a challenge, we're essentially too proud to admit that we can't handle it or that God's timing is perfect. Note that Peter writes God will lift us up when in due time or at the proper time. When we worry, we're too proud to admit that we can't manage a given situation, too proud to admit that we need help. So we worry instead. We worry instead of casting our worries or our anxieties onto the one who is able to carry that load so much better than we can, the one who can also actually do something about that worry besides worry about it. When we worry, the word of God is choked out of our lives, as we read in Luke 8:14 a moment ago. R- worry robs us of joy. It robs us of peace. And when we worry, we can't enjoy God's blessings. In fact, when we worry, we can't even see them, let alone enjoy them. A dictionary of word origins says that the word worry originally meant to strangle. Now, the sense of harassing physically, as in dogs worrying sheep, emerged in the 16th century via an intermediate understanding of seized by the throat. So all these meanings are implied in the word worry. The word has evolved to include all these understandings. I once read an article in Discipleship Journal about worry, and in this article the author wrote, failure to obey his explicit commands is a sin. And then she wondered in the article if classifying worry as a sin is too harsh. She writes this in this article. It actually brings great freedom. I no longer see my anxiety as a hereditary trait I cannot control. Rather, I see it as a sin I can choose to resist. Because sin does not have mastery over me, as it tells us in Romans chapter 6, I can be set free from slavery to sin, to the sin of worry. Let's spend a few more minutes looking at this passage. Let me read it once more. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And again, it takes humility to recognize we can't handle things on our own. It takes humility to realize our worry is not getting us anything but ulcers. We sometimes try to sanctify worry, at least in our own thinking, if not in our words. I've done that, especially when my worry involves a genuine concern for family members and a time of grieving over their condition. And that led on one hand to lots of extra prayer, but often that's deteriorated into fretting over what I should do. It's exhibited my lack of faith that God was really in charge, that God loved these people more than I do, that he would pursue my loved ones through every circumstance providing absolutely every opportunity for these to respond to his love and to his grace. Now, my worrying could never accomplish that. I had to humble myself. I had to recognize my sin of depending on what I could do in that situation. And the truth is, I could do very little, if anything. I had to repent of this worrying, this trying to take back the load that brought God had promised to carry and commanded me to hand over to him. And that's exactly what God does in this passage. He commands us, cast all your cares, all your worries, all your anxiety on him. That's a God-given command. Now, I wondered also about the tense of this word. You know, sometimes you have to pay attention to that when you're looking at a passage of scripture. I wondered, for example, if casting was like the verse that said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In its proper understanding, that particular verse could read, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit, be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. So I researched it thinking that would be a great help, of great help in understanding this particular passage. But I was disappointed. I found out that's not the case, actually. Here the word casting is a single act. You do it once and it's done. There's no expectation that we should do this continually. At least we don't have to. Once you've cast a burden on the Lord, Again, picture that big boulder on your shoulder, and you've given it to the Lord, you've cast it on Him. It's as if He says to us, Hey, I got this. I've got this. However, our human nature being what it is, we have the tendency to take it back. We have the tendency to take it back and begin worrying all over again. So even though... Scripturally, it's a single act. There's no implication in the text that we must keep on casting. The reality of our human condition is such that we end up doing that anyway. Now think of it like this. Just as we don't get saved over and over, right, but we need to remember, we need to appropriate, we need to act on, we need to live in the understanding that we are crucified with Christ, which is a finished act, and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us, so too when burdens become too heavy for us, when we're taking on the load and trying to carry the weight of circumstances ourselves, even after we've already cast it on the Lord once, twice, 50, 100 times, we are commanded when it becomes a care, when it becomes anxiety to cast that worry on the Lord. Now in practical terms, because of our foolishness, that means we do it again and again. Not that God asks us to do it again and again, but because we keep taking the weight of that burden back ourselves. We keep taking it again, and our trust erodes. Or in our foolishness, we subconsciously somehow think we can handle this better now. We can handle it better than the king of kings. I've got to do something. That's what we think. We tend to think, I've got to do something, right? Yet he is our burden bearer. He says his yoke is easy. His burden is light. It doesn't remove our responsibility to lay that burden on him, but it can and does remove the weight of the outcome of those circumstances that are weighing us down, those things that distract us, those things that hinder our walk with the Lord and often hinder our relationships with each other. We are told to pray about everything rather than be anxious, and the word is clear that we are to persevere in prayer. But when we've slipped past concern and into worry, The answer is clear, cast our cares on him. Lay your burden down. How do we know when we slip past a godly concern, which can be legitimate, into the arena of worry and anxiety? Do you have trouble determining that? Well, first of all, I think that most of us know that intuitively. It's not that hard if we're honest with ourselves. But there are some things that are obvious. How about tense or tight muscles? How about a racing mind that we just can't shut down to focus on the things that we need to focus on or the things of God? How about sleeplessness? Sometimes, but not always, it can be a sign that our worry has slipped beyond legitimate concern. Of course, there are other reasons for sleeplessness, too. Now, other signs are more subtle. How about a lack of joy and lightheartedness, impatience with myself and others, taking myself too seriously? forgetting to thank God for his blessings, difficulty praising him. All these are signs pointing to the presence of smoldering coals of worry in my heart. Like a smoke detector warning of impending danger, they alert me to the asphyxiating smoke of worry. When we worry, we've unthinkingly questioned his wisdom that he knows best, his love and goodness that he cares for us and wants what is best, and his sovereignty, that he is able to do what is best. Worry reveals not only our distrustful thoughts about God, but also an unrealistic view of ourselves that we are ultimately in control, that we are responsible for other people's happiness, our spouse, our children, our parents, our boss, our friends, that we can determine better than God what we or others need. These are all signs, if you've thought about these kind of things, that you've slipped beyond genuine concern into deconstructive worry. We read in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 31, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now Jesus said three important things about worry or anxiety here. First he said that anxiety or worry is foolish because life consists of so much more than material things, such as what we eat or what we wear. Well, you might think, well, Bill, you know, my worries are not about material things. And I'm sure that's true of some of you. Some of you don't worry about material things. But Jesus isn't done speaking here. Secondly, he told us that worry is foolish because our worry can't change the situation. We can't change it. He can, but we can't. Finally, Jesus pointed out that worry is foolish because it's the same attitude that unbelievers have. The world is concerned with material things, not with life's ultimately important spiritual realities. And the world is self-sufficient. Matter of fact, we see that encouraged, don't we? Self-sufficiency. Besides, God takes care of birds, doesn't he? Found this little ditty. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Isn't that an indictment from the birds? Huh? Someone here may have a child or a loved one who has decided to live a destructive lifestyle. Concern is appropriate, as is persistent prayer, which indicates that we trust God, rely completely on Him for the outcome. But worrying will not change the outcome. We may have a sick family member, but worrying will not change the outcome. As we noted a moment ago, worrying makes us like the unbeliever who doesn't know God and lives in a way in which he relies on himself and his own ability to handle a given circumstance. When we worry, we're just like that person and we're practically indistinguishable from what Jesus calls the pagan world. Let me share briefly a few ideas about dealing with worry. Practical ways we can help ourselves in the act of casting our cares, or anxieties, on him. These are adapted from a little booklet I found called Worry-Free Living. First of all, we can meditate on and memorize scripture. That's an easy one, right? Well, it's easy to say, just read the word. Yes, we should do that. But isn't it true that when we're worrying, just reading the word is not enough? And sometimes it's rather hard to do when we're consumed with worry because we're so distracted. But we need to chew on it. We need to mull it over. We need to think about it. We need to hide it in our hearts so it will impact our hearts. And as it impacts our hearts, it impacts our worries. Meditate, for example, on John chapter 14, verse 27, where Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Let these kinds of words echo in our minds and our hearts when worries begun to take over. Get away to a quiet place. Think about what these scriptures, this one and others, say. Pray and ask the Lord to illuminate the scripture, but to help this word also be living and active in your life, sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating your worry and dividing that worry from legitimate concern and cutting that insidious growth of worry from your spirit. And then as you pray for God to use his word in your spirit, listen to what the word is speaking to you. Sometimes our worries get our minds going just so fast that we don't take time to listen to the Lord. He may or may not provide the solution, the answer, or the relief from whatever's worrying you. He might do that, but he also might not. But he can and will provide the peace that passes understanding. Related to that is memorizing scripture. Sometimes when we worry, we don't really have the ability to focus or to read, do we? Not even the word. But if we make a habit of memorizing the word, especially in those seasons when we aren't focused on a worry, hiding his words in our heart, then we can call to mind those verses that minister to us, those verses that help remind us of the truth when the enemy is using our worries to lie to us, and he will do that. Sometimes I've also found that Christian music, either worship music or hymns or even some popular Christian music, can be a great means of slowing down my racing, worrying mind long enough for me to allow God to take those burdens, to bear my cares, to bear my anxieties, to bear my worries. Did you ever wonder why so many stores play easy listening music on their in-store sound systems? Well, the reason is studies show it relaxes us. And actually, people buy more when they're relaxed. I've had times when the truth of Scripture put to music has done more to lift me up than anything else, and it's enabled me to truly cast my care on the Lord. We're going to hear an example of a song like that at the close. Another way to defeat worry and anxiety is to learn to talk through your problems with the right person. Christian author Paul Meyer says, anxiety and depression build because people don't air their feelings daily. God gives us people in our lives. And that's why it's important for us to be together and have relationships in a body like TCF. He uses people as tools in his hands to help bear our burdens. I do think we have to exercise care in not relying on any individual rather than the Lord. But the reality is that we need each other. We're called the body of Christ for a reason. When I've had those seasons of worry and I've shared those worries with a select circle of people, God used that to provide me support, to carry my worries. God can and will use the right people in our lives. Another principle we need to learn to deal with worry is to focus on today. Some of you may remember the old hymn, One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. Matthew 6.34 tells us, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think we can all say amen to that. Worrying about the future is fruitless. And then, of course, there's worry about the past. Playing what if in worrying about the future or if only in worrying about the past is a dangerous game. Our past will keep us in it if we let it. Worry about our past mistakes is absolutely fruitless. It keeps us trapped there, and it gives us no future. Related to this is the idea of due time that we see in the passage that we've been looking at this morning. Peter said that the Lord will lift us up in due time. Some of your versions say the proper time. The idea here is God's timing is perfect. Whether we can see that or not, his timing is perfect. And last but not least... Certainly not least, maybe most, is prayer. Prayer. It's the tangible expression of our reliance on God. Let me read from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, which says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great passage of Scripture? That's one you can memorize, huh? That's one you can memorize and call to mind in those seasons of worry when you can't read the Word, you can remember it. There are other things we could mention, but I want to make one more point before we close. The end of our main text for this morning tells us why we can confidently cast our cares on God. Verse 7 says... Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. And the idea is that God continually cares for you. Our attitude is often similar to that of the disciples in the story we read in Mark chapter 4, verse 35-41. through 41. I'm not going to read the passage. I'm just going to summarize it here. They'd just been with Jesus the whole day. And they were on their way to another town when they encountered a big storm on the lake. You remember the story? The disciples got so worried that they became fearful and upset and they rushed to Jesus who was sound asleep, clearly not worried, in the back of the boat and they accused him. Amazing words coming from the disciples toward Jesus. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? This time Jesus showed he cared. By actually changing the circumstances, he actually calmed the storm. But we also know that that doesn't always happen that way, does it? There's a song that says sometimes he calms the storm, but other times he calms his child. Whether he calms the storms of our life to relieve our worries, or he chooses to calm us by carrying our load of worry and anxiety so that we don't have to, the question that the disciples asked, don't you care, has been answered in the most amazing way that any of us can imagine through his suffering, through his death, through his resurrection for us. The incarnation and all that resulted from that answered for us in the most compelling, most complete way possible, that question, don't you care? And think of this too, of all the burdens we cannot possibly carry that he will carry for us, our sins are the most significant ones that we must lay down at the foot of of the cross. Amen. Uh, before we close, I want to tell you this story. Now, several elements of this story make me wonder if this is just a mere story. So consider it that. It may not be true, but it's a story that illustrates a point that I want to make. Years ago, in the pioneer days of aviation, there was a pilot who was making a flight around the world. And after he'd been gone for about two hours from his last landing field, he heard a noise in the plane. And he recognized this noise as the Gnawing, the chewing of a rat, and he realized that while his plane had been on the ground, a rat had somehow gotten in. And all he, for all he knew, that rat was gnawing through important cables or important connections uh, that might control the plane. And so he knew it was a very serious situation. He was concerned, and he was anxious. And at first, he didn't know what to do. It was two hours to go back to the previous place. It was two hours till his next landing. And then he remembered that the rat is a rodent. It's not made for the heights. It's meant to live on the ground and under the ground. So the pilot began to climb with his plane. He went up 1,000 feet and another 1,000 and another 1,000, and finally he was so high, he was close to 20,000 feet up, and the gnawing stopped. The rat died. It couldn't survive in that atmosphere of those heights. More than two hours later, the pilot brought the plane safely to the next landing field, and he found the dead rat. Brothers and sisters in Christ, rodents, worry is a rodent. Worry is a rodent. Worry chews through our connections with God. It chews through our connections with each other, and it's ultimately destructive. But worry, like the rat, cannot live in the secret place of the Most High. It cannot breathe. It can't survive in the presence of God made real and effective in our prayers and as we rest in and rely on the truth of the Word of God. Worry dies when we ascend to the Lord through prayer and through His Word, and when we cast our cares and our anxieties on Him, when we lay down our burdens at the foot of the cross. This morning as we close, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to this Word, because my guess is, I don't have to guess because I know it's true, so many of you, I know your stories. I know that you are carrying significant burdens. And so we're going to respond as we listen to a song. This pulpit, in case you've not noticed, is the shape of a cross. And this morning, you have in your bulletin, you may have wondered why those blank sheets of paper were there. You have a piece of paper. And if you didn't get a bulletin, we have a few extra sheets and pens up here. I'm going to play this closing song. And as the song plays, we're going to take just a few minutes. The song's about five minutes to write down a burden. Just a word or two. You don't have to write down the whole story. God knows, right? There's nothing magical I want to tell you about coming up here today. You're certainly free to ask and seek God's grace right where you sit and lay your burdens before him. But sometimes God will use these kinds of visual reminders to help us remember and to access his grace. And to bring home the point that we made a little earlier, we're going to do one additional step today rather than just bring our burdens down and place them at the foot of the cross. And as we do, remember, despite the reality that we often cast our cares on him, we sometimes later take back those burdens and begin carrying them all over by ourselves again. So today we're going to bring them to the foot of the cross and we're going to put them in a shredder. There's a shredder down here at the foot of the cross hopefully symbolizing that God will always carry that burden. And even though our tendency is to take back that worry and begin carrying it ourselves again, we don't have to. We don't have to. So as the song plays in closing, let's respond as the Lord would lead you and respond prayerfully, okay? Amen.
1: Take your worries to the foot of the cross and lay.
2: What a good reminder for each of us to lay our burdens down as we come to the close of this service. Lord, I just pray that we would just remember the picture that what we wrote down and what we put in that shredder is gone. Just like when we give our sins to you, they are as far as the east is from the west, Lord. Thank you for today. Thank you for the work that you're doing in us and what you will accomplish through each of us in this coming week. Lord, we just give you the glory and praise for what you've said to us today and what you will do in our lives as we seek your face. We thank you that we can ask these things through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We are dismissed.